The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. So let's pray, um, and um, then we'll go to God's Word. Father, we thank you that indeed you have spoken. God, make us good listeners. Give us ears to hear your word this morning, both now and for always. May we sit at your feet and let you speak over us, speak into us, speak words of power and purpose and blessing, speak words of law and warning. God, may we submit our hearts to you. But Father, we've all failed, (laughs) and so we thank you for Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our righteousness. You are our performance. You are the word made flesh to bring grace and mercy to sinners like us. God, use your word in the next few minutes to bring real enlightenment in regard to our own sin, how we have used our tongues to kill and not heal. Show us ourselves, God, that we might see Jesus, and we might glory in him, and we might see our need for him. God, we pray for our sister Lisa. Bring healing. Protect her. Watch over her. Father, do that for anyone sick in our body. Meet them where they are. Father, we lift these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go now to James 3. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12 this morning. Hear now God's word. James writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of righteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? And neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the very word of God. Thanks be to God. I reached out uh, to you guys this week through the realm and asked if you had a word for us, if you could uh, tell us the the most hurtful words spoken to you, at least of late, 
and or the most encouraging word spoken to you? And a couple of people responded. And here is what one person wrote in regard to the most hurtful word spoken as of late. The most hurtful words spoken to me in recent past were after I got a promotion and I met with a coworker asking for thoughts or ideas for the company. And that person said to me, I know I speak for coworker two and coworker three when I say that you have already had so much influence over and access to the boss that this just is just icing on the cake. Wow. This person said, I was bewildered and hurt for a host of reasons, one of them being to find that my coworkers were gossiping about me, talking about me, and this was devastating. But what about encouraging words? One person said, and this was spoken by their former coach, said this, my wife and I are so proud of you. If we had a daughter, we would want her to be just like you. Another person wrote um, that someone from their board that has oversight of the place they work spoke these words to, a board member wrote these words to this person. Uh, the board member said, I just want you to know how much you are valued and what a phenomenal job you've done at this company and continue to do, and I'm going to do a better job of communicating that to others. Dear friends, words have power, <laughs> words have meaning, and yet we need a theology of words. It, it really struck me this week that I don't think I've ever had a comprehensive theology of words. <laughs> and so this morning, I'm excited to, to impart a lot of information, and you're probably going to have to go back and listen some more. You're probably going to have to take pictures of notes because we're going to go at a, at a fast clip. But the first thing I want us to see is this whole idea that words have purpose. We read the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This eternal quietness. And then this booming voice. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke and light came to be. God is the first one to speak. Words originate with him and in him and from him. And therefore, he is Lord of the words. He is the one who has the authority and the only one who has the authority to tell us how to use words. He's the one to bring purpose and meaning around words because they are his creation. Paul Tripp, in his book, War of Words, writes this. In Genesis 1, the world of communication was a world of peace, truth, and life. Words were never used as weapons. Truth was never used to tear down. Words were always spoken in love, and human communication never broke the bonds of peace. Oh, to recapture Eden. You see, we were created by God to 
be encouraged and blessed by God. We were created by God. Pre-fall, we were good listeners, and so we sat at the feet of God and said, speak to us. Help us make sense of all these things you have made. Help us make sense of what's inside of us. Help us make sense of our world. And that's what God did. And in Genesis 1.28, we see that we were created to thrive on words of blessing. Because in Genesis 1.28a, we read, and God blessed them. God blessed them. Can you imagine? That's the first thing that man received from God was a blessing, was encouragement, was affirmation. And then we go on. We were also created not only to receive blessing, but to receive words of purpose and mission from God. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. They're just sitting there in this newly created world. What do we do? This is what you do. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Oh, that's what we're supposed to eat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. Purpose, meaning, instruction, how to interpret the world, how to live in this world that God created. Men, women sitting at the feet of God, listening, responding, being blessed and giving purpose, and then also we were created to have God speak law and boundaries and words of warning. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Words of warning. Can God be trusted? Absolutely. The mess we're in is because of our disobedience and our unwillingness to listen and obey the very words of God. And then lastly, we were also created for God to explain our deepest emotions and feelings. God created man first, and he's like, okay, I've named all the animals, but is that really it? There was incompleteness. There was feelings of, of, uh, of dissonance. It was like, is this really it? And then the booming voice of God, it is not good for the man to be alone. And now you can just hear Adam saying, oh, you got that right. You got that right. I will make him a helper fit for him. So we learn from Genesis 1 and 2 that we need God to speak to bless us, to put us on purposeful mission, to give us directives that will protect our lives and to make sense of our eternal longings. Words are important. But then we come to the New Testament, and James tells us this. And at first, it seems like he's just addressing teachers, but then he, he, he addresses everybody. Yeah, the teachers are really in hot water. Because all that talking they do, but hey, we're really all in hot water. And we read this. Now, um, um, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. That's when he starts broadening the perspective from teachers to everybody, able also to bridle his whole body. What happened? What happened between Genesis 1 and James 3? I'll tell you what happened. God was not the only one speaking at creation, but the serpent spoke too. 
and listen to the words of the serpent. These are words to deceive, not bless. These are words to mislead, not make sense. These are words to win to evil, not righteousness. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? Friends, that's the hermeneutic of the devil. And that's what we see in the church today. That's what we see. Is that really what God is saying? Sell all you have and give to the poor. Is that really what God is saying? Love your neighbor as yourself. Is that really what God is saying about gender, about sexuality, about money, about everything? Is that really what God is saying? You see the skepticism. You see the questioning. Did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent again said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll just be like him, knowing good and evil. If you listen to God, you're getting duped. If you listen to God, you're getting fooled. That's the hermeneutic. That's the, that's the, the, the very purpose of the serpent speaking. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it looks like all the other trees. I don't understand the purpose. I mean, God just must be outdated that it was delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. When the serpent speaks, he speaks to deceive. And friends, that's where we are in the world. From this point forward, words were used not for blessing, but for cursing. Not to heal, but to destroy. Our words literally pierce our neighbors. Our words stain us and, and char us at like hell itself. Words have meaning and purpose. But secondly, words have creative power. Some of the most powerful words ever spoken over me was when my dad put me in his lap when I was in the fourth grade. I was nine years old. And he spoke these words over me. I'm leaving your mother. I have gone back to those words in counseling and individually over and over and over and over and over again. And what those words created in me was a hemorrhage. What, what His words had power, as did his actions, but his words had power to hemorrhage something in me, my identity, who I am as a man, who I am as a boy, who I am as a human being made in the likeness of God. It was cursing, not blessing. So much was being communicated that literally my wife, my, my, my children, my everybody that's ever met me has been impacted by the power of the hemorrhaging in me because of those words. And it won't be fully healed until glory. Oh, it'll be healed in glory. We'll get there. But not until then. Words have creative power. Contrast that, though, with these words. Matthew 3, 16 through 17. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. 
And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. Oh, dear friends, some may think that was for John the Baptist, that was for others, but that was also for God himself. That was for Jesus to remember when he is being ostracized, when he is having to obey the law for you and me, when he is being falsely accused and condemned, when he is stripped naked, when he is hung on a cross, nailed to a cross. This Jesus could hear the echo of the words, this is my son, with him I am well pleased. Words have power. And friends, your words have power too. Are you speaking blessing or cursing on those around you? Words of empowerment or words of destruction. You see, God is not oblivious to our words. Matthew 5, 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And catch this, whoever says, you fool, out of anger, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus says emphatically that everyone who's angry with his brother, insults his brother, or says, you fool, is in deep water. Our words can murder. Our words are like a machine gun blasting away, killing, leaving bodies strewn everywhere. James says it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Sometimes it kills slowly. That's kind of when I think of the deadly poison, the strike of a serpent. And that metaphor is certainly with great purpose. It doesn't kill just Hits you and you die. It hits you and you're sick, you're sick, you're sick, you're sick, you're sick, you're miserable, you're miserable, then you die. That's what our words can do to those around us. Every one of us are murderers. And then he says in 5 through 6, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. You know, the purpose of gossip and slander is to incorporate a community. It's one thing to just blast somebody with your words. It's a whole other thing to, to try to get a community around you that is built upon the common agreement of who we hate. That's what slander is. That's what gossip is because we are so insecure because we have that gaping wound inside of us. We want to build ourselves up. We want to have some sense of security. And instead of latching into God, we latch into the destructive nature of our words, trying to employ, trying to plant, if you will, a community of people that will be in agreement with us that this person is worthless. Gossip is simply confessing the sins of a brother or sister. And it's murder. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. Oh, it feels so good sometimes to gossip, doesn't it? 
it feels so good. It, it makes you just feel so righteous and then so dirty. Because it's evil. It's from the pit of hell. Literally. And that's who we're participating with. Think about your words, friends. This is the point. And then thirdly, words are a window to our heart. They aren't just words. <laughs> oh, I wish they were just words. But there's something behind it. It's an evil heart. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our, set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Did you? Staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Well, I just thought I was just harmlessly talking about, you know, just getting some stuff off my chest. No, you're participating with hell itself. I'm participating with hell itself. Luke 6, 45, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. James tells us the tongue stains the whole body, sets on fire the course of life, and is set on fire by hell. I experienced this. I've got so many illustrations. It's like this was the easiest sermon to write. <laughs> I've got to, I mean, I was driving one day using my Bluetooth car feature. So I was having a call to actually a former member. He moved away. And we were talking. He, he was thinking about going to seminary and calling his pastor to get some really good advice. So I'm on Bluetooth. Well, I'm driving down the road, and there's a green light in front of me, you know, maybe 25 yards, and all of a sudden, this group of teenagers just starts walking nonchalantly, nonchalantly, nonchalantly across the street, kind of eating their Fritos out of the bag, you know, like, we own the world. And something clicked in me, folks. I mean, I went from zero, and I had to stop. But as I stopped, and one of them turned and looked at me and kind of mouthed something, and I'm in the car, and I lost all sense of reality, and I lost my mind on those teenagers. I was saying things I'm not about to repeat. Punk may have been the nicest word that I used. And then this one teenager came up to my passenger side window and I was like oh it's on I rolled down my window and he just kind of walked off and my blood pressure my heart you know just pumping and I go to the light it was red at that point and I'm sitting at the light and this voice came through the bluetooth are you okay I turned about 50 shades of, it, oh, I mean, I, 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 all I could do, all I could say was, 
I am so sorry. And what was bad is he wouldn't let me off the, he wouldn't say anything. He just went on talking. It brought up just like we nothing ever happened. I needed, he got me in that weak moment. I needed something. I need some love. Some, I, all right, brother, I get it. I do, you know, I got nothing. And I ended that call about as fast as I could end that call. And wow. I could give example after example because why? Because those weren't just words. That's what was in my heart. That, uh, you know, that's how we should use our words. We shouldn't, we shouldn't run. We shouldn't blame shift. We shouldn't say, oh, that was just. No, that was what was in my heart. That's how badly I need Jesus. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Even the saved heart. Who can understand it? Well, how do we see our hearts? It's through our words. And that's how we should use our words. And friends, if you're sitting there thinking, well, I do really good. You're just not talking. Because James says no human being can tame the tongue. You may be introverted. You may not say a lot. But what's going on in your heart? You just start writing in those moments. You start writing all the things, and you see who you are. Then thirdly and finally, the word is our hope. He points to it here in this passage. It's subtle. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers... These things ought not be so. But what should be so? Blessing the Lord. He tells us. And what are we to bless the Lord about? We are to bless the Lord for a host of realities that he is a God who is for sinners. Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners. He didn't come for the proud. He came for the broken and humble. He didn't come for the one who's saying, oh, look, look, look. He came for the one who's saying, I got nothing to give you. He came for me in the midst of my absolute humiliation and, and, and just blatant understanding of this is the heart of Richard Reeves. He came for me in that moment. And that's the purpose of the heart. I love the teaching of Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I, was, I could be some good to somebody in that moment in the car right after that. Why? Because there was no... No real confidence in Richard Reeves. But that was probably one of the most healthy moments. It's in those moments that we're some good of, to somebody else. Why? Because I can't give you me, but I can give you Jesus. That is, that's the whole purpose. Don't look at the speck in your brother's eye. Look at the log in your own, and then you're some good to your brother because his speck doesn't seem too big compared to yours. Then you can lovingly say, hey, come along, me too, as opposed to you wretched 
everything I said. You see what that word, you see where my, the spewing came from? It really came going back really to that deep wound of my father. You disrespect me, you reject me, and oh, the fire of hell's coming out of me. Why? Because when it, and unless I'm in the moment where I'm letting Jesus fill that hole in me, unless I'm in the moment where I'm drinking deep with him, I'm in that moment of needing some affirmation. And if you're a teenager and you're not giving me respect out of all the people in the world that should be respecting, respecting their elders, oh, I'm coming at you. Unless the healing balm of Jesus is coming, I'm drinking something different. I'm not drinking the wound. I'm drinking the healing balm of Jesus. You see, that is how we, that's how we, we, we um, um, that's how we walk through the world it's letting, our, letting God humble us through the words and through our hearts that we might run to him for grace. And, and that's what we get. Romans 5.20, now the law came to increase the trespass. The law came to show us what we really are. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's my God, friends. It's not a God who sits in heaven and waits for us to mess up to rub our face in it. It's a God who sits in heaven who utilizes our sin and our brokenness to draw our hearts to him to show us where real love is found, to show us where real words of affirmation, where real life is found. It's found only in him, not in, not in anything in this world. That is the power of the gospel, and that's where we must run. So, dear friends, may we run this morning to these tables. May we come desperate. May we come bringing nothing in our hands. May we come to him that we might be a people who are peacemakers, a people who are speaking the peace that God speaks over us, speaking the healing that God speaks over us. May we come to these tables this morning. Pray with me. Lord God, thank you. Thank you that these tables are invitations to your son, Jesus. They're invitations to your heart, to your open arms, pleading with us as sinners to come and drink, come and eat, buy wine, and have bread that is without cost except to you. Lord Jesus, may we drink deeply of you this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. Dear friends, receive God's blessing as we go out into the world to serve him and to show forth his love to those around us. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he indeed lavish you with his peace that we might be an element of peace in the world this week and so far beyond. Amen.